All right, we've been in this uh, series, there's a number of them, imprecatory psalms. And as I mentioned, these imprecatory psalms are psalms where uh, there's a a prayer or a, a psalm, in this case a song that was sung, and asking God to, well, first of all, reflecting on who God is, but also asking God to put down um, the enemies, in this case, the enemies of Israel, the enemies of David. This is a psalm of David. And as I said before, in going through these psalms, they're not the ones you usually turn to <clears throat> in Scripture. Now, we have been here before in this one. And tonight we're going to be uh, looking at a section that we aren't even in the imprecatory part. Uh, that's near the end of this psalm. Uh, but when we look at it, um, you find here, uh, again, uh, why I'm not always in these psalms is because Quite frankly, it's, they're hard, some of them, you know, like calling down judgment upon the enemy or uh, asking God to take out your enemy, those kind of things. And it seems somewhat contradictory, at least on the surface, and we've explained that as we've looked at these psalms. When you come to the New Testament, for example, and Jesus tells us to pray for our enemies and do good to those who spitefully use you in verses like, turn the other cheek, right? You know, talking about if someone smites you on one cheek, turn and give him the other. Or if he asks for your uh, cloak, give him your coat also. Or, you know, giving things away and and helping people in that way. And it isn't always the way we we act in a world that is so hostile, isn't it? Uh, The reality is human nature is it's a scrappy world. It's been so for human history since the fall into sin. And we fight for things. And that by nature is hard to reconcile when you have those verses and you have the old testament verses in the psalms particular particularly where you have uh this calling down of god's judgment upon the enemy and that's kind of what the word imprecatory in english means to call out or in some sense in the definition of it, it's like to curse or put a curse on someone well we don't put curses on people but we ask god to take them out if they're evil, you know, those kind of things. And so, as I said, that's not normally the vocabulary of Christians so much. However, and I think as we've looked at it, um, it is the vocabulary of some portions of Scripture, and there's the heartfelt desire for, as David writes this psalm, to seek justice. And again, David was not asking that he would be the avenger, the avenger, but that God would. And that's always important. And I think no matter what we do is we pray or we sing a song or whatever it is. Uh, In this case, this would have been sung. This is the Hebrew songbook, right? The Psalms. And uh, God makes that abundantly clear of what he will do. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And sometimes we just have to leave things with him. So tonight we're not going to actually get into the imprecatory part, but we're going to look at the, the part before that. And I think it's good because it balances off what David asks for. And if you wanted an outline, and I'm just giving you, we're just going to get in this first section tonight. The Lord can be trusted. That's the first part of this psalm. And then the second part is the Lord understands your situation. All right. And that is very clear in this psalm. And then the third part is the Lord blesses his people. All right. And then lastly, and this is more the imprecatory part, was the Lord judges the wicked, or he deals with evil, doesn't he? And so uh, I'll leave that up for a moment there, but that's sort of the basic outline for the, the, the 37th Psalm. 
Uh, and again, I want to look tonight just at the first 11 verses, and hopefully we get far enough into them, but uh, we'll look at that. Uh, let's open up with Psalm 37, verse 1. We'll read down through this psalm. It says, Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Well, may God add his richest blessing to the reading of his word. Well, looking at this, the Lord um, can be trusted. That's verses 1 to 11 here. And the outline of this section, I'm not always big on outlines, but sometimes they help us kind of remember things. And it's interesting the way the Psalms are written, many of the Psalms in in Hebrew, and again, I'm no expert in Hebrew by any means, uh, but they often were written in such a way that it was easy to memorize. And this Psalm is particularly like that because it gives us some very practical things that we can do in this aspect of, of trusting the Lord. And honestly, that's a hard thing to do for us, isn't it? Sometimes to trust. I think we live in a world, it's easier for a child to trust people, right? Often we tell them, you know, don't trust certain people, right? Or don't trust strangers. But as you get older and older, especially having sometimes those trusts breached and and people let you down and those kind of things, it's harder for people to trust. And when the Lord says he wants us to trust in him, He means that he wants us to rest in him. He wants us to rely on him. He wants us to have our our faith in him. And that is a journey, right? I mean, honestly, uh, it should be something that draws us. Obviously, the first step of faith is that faith of salvation, turning from our sin to Christ. That is uh, the big step of faith, isn't it? But it's a trust issue. You're eternally asking him to save you. And he's promised to take away our sin. We sang those songs about rolling our sins away, right? We'll come to that a little bit further. But anyways, there are some verses here that have key words in them that kind of give us the idea of how to trust the Lord. First one is, do not fret, or fret not. Um, I, I like that phrase when he says, do not fret. Now, fret is an interesting word, because it's not a word we use a lot, although it's used And it carries the idea of someone who's concerned or worried, um, sometimes burdened by something, and you fret about things, right? Keeps you up at night, those kind of things. And here, the Lord says, do not fret. Now, it also means, in this case, the word fret can mean to burn with anger. And that's actually what the Hebrew word means. It says, be or become hot or angry. 
Uh, I don't know how you pronounce that in Hebrew other than all right and you almost sense that right Uh, you're in that anger building up and this world is like that isn't it It, it, the pressures of life the pressures of of the things we experience if you if you find yourselves fretting because sometimes I do there will be times when somebody does you wrong or those kind of things doesn't happen very often but it does happen you know at least in my experience but when it happens sometimes i'll find myself at the moment dealing with it okay but then hours later days later even years later i have found myself angry at something or someone that did me wrong or i perceive they did me wrong that kind of stuff and here he the psalmist says don't fret don't be angry and uh, later on, you know, he expresses the idea that it will lead to further anxiety, right? It will lead to furry, further worries. And three times it appeared in our, our reading here. Um, in uh, verse 8, it says, Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. Fret is an internal thing, right? Not an external thing. Um, and that's really where anger originates, isn't it? It starts within the heart. And you can have all kinds of things hit you from the outside. You can't stop some of that. It happens. But you can stop what starts from the inside. And we can't do it alone in of ourselves, but with the power of the Lord upon us, right? Uh, I like that. And that's very practical. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says the same thing. Be angry and do not sin. Now he's talking about a holy anger. Uh, He's saying there are things that should make us angry. But don't lead to sin with that anger. Um, angry, you know, uh, angry outbursts are things that aren't what you see as con- a Christian who should be col- uh, controlled by the Holy Spirit. But it is possible to be angry about certain things. I think sin and evil ought to make us angry. Not necessarily to a point where you're out there trying to look for somebody to hit with a baseball bat, right? That's not... That, that kind of anger there. It's a, it's a holy anger. I think Christ was an example of that. When he went into the temple and he found the people there in the money changers and they'd taken the Lord's place of prayer and they'd made it a house of business. That's all it was. It was a business. And the money changers were there because, you see, the Romans only allowed you to trade in Roman currency. It was the only legal tender. And to go into the temple, the Jewish temple, they had to convert it back to um, coinage that didn't have an icon on it of some sort, no stamped Caesar or anything like that, because that would be idolatry. So they would have the money changers there who would change money over from Roman currency into the currency of the Jews so they could go and give donations or whatever else in the temple in their offerings And in the process, they were making more money in it, you know, taking a little bit for themselves, doing that. And Jesus comes in and he looks at all this selling of stuff that's going on, right? All the animal sacrifices, all that stuff. And he turns the tables over and he's angry and he drives them out. And actually in fulfillment of scripture, that was a holy kind of anger. He was righteous. There was nothing sinful about that at all. He was he was dead on with that um we may not be called to do this by the way christ can do that can he um we may not be called to do that same thing and do that but there should be that kind of 
holy anger. But the kind of anger that is talked about here in this psalm is a kind of anger that burns within you and it causes sin is really what happens. And here you're to fret not or do not fret and make sure you're not doing that. Um, I like what... Um, and, and David here, as he's writing this, and he's worrying, no doubt, or at least struggling with some of those things, of all the enemies that have gathered around him. We've looked at, was it last week, Psalm 35, and we looked at Psalm 12, Psalm 8. Those are all imprecatory psalms. And there, in Psalm 39, he jumps back into that nature of the enemy that's all around him. And you always have David kind of on the run that way, or at least defend uh, in a defensive posture. And yet, I'm sure David, like any man, any woman, he would struggle with that anger that's within us. After all, he had the rightful place in Israel as their king. God had chosen him to do that. And he wasn't, it wasn't an easy road to get to there, was it? Saul didn't want to abdicate. You had uh, later in David's own household those that rebelled and tried to take the throne from him. And there was the enemy without too. The, the Philistines kept rearing their heads even after the great defeat of the giant at Gath. Uh, of Gath. And you know, you look at all that and that's a constant thing. And, you, and I think fretting is a lifelong thing that we have to drive away. Say, do not. How do you drive it away? You trust the Lord. That's how you do He also reminds us, for they, the wicked, right? They shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. I like what Warren Wiersbe says. He says, like any mature believer who had been through his own share of suffering, David took the long view of the situation and elevated the immediate and the transient in terms of the ultimate and eternal. Did you get that? He took the long view of the situation and evaluated the immediate and the transient in terms of the ultimate and the eternal. And if we would do the same thing, if we would look at what is around us, whether it's whatever is bothering you or bothering me, and we realize that this is just a transient thing, it's going to soon pass. Even if it's with you the rest of your natural life here on earth, it's still in the light of eternity just a little blip that's it it will soon pass and those that do harm those that persecute those that cause evil in the world they will be soon cut down david is reminded of that and sometimes i need to be reminded of the eternal and the things that are lasting and get my eyes off the transient and the things which are really the short view the immediate that are in front of me and that's important that we do that. We see um, this theme carried throughout other psalms, other places in Scripture. Psalm 90, verse 5, You carry them away like a flood. They are like a sleep. In the morning they are like grass which grows up. In the morning it flourishes and grows up. In the evening it is cut down and withers. The picture there is of the evil man, those that want to do harm, And no matter what, it's like a day. Wake up in the morning and they seem strong and they're causing a lot of harm, a lot of sin. But the evening's coming and it'll be over. I'm glad for that. Because there are some people that live in this life and they have a pretty tough life. Isaiah chapter 40. 
The voice said, cry out. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. As quick as life is, and how beautiful sometimes life is, it fades quickly, doesn't it? The grass withers, the flower fades, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. Do you know that man's lifespan is limited? You know, I know there are people out there, billionaires today in our world, that would like to find uh, the, the way to decode the, the genome in a such a way that we could actually reprogram our genes and live eternally. That's, they're trying to do that. Well, they're not getting very far with that. I don't expect they ever will. Because the Lord put a lifespan to us. It's appointed on a man once to die. Once. I'm sorry, you're not going to live again and again or come back as something else. You're going to die. It's an appointment we'll keep. Some will keep it maybe at an earlier age and others at a later age. But we'll keep that appointment. The question is, are we going to live eternally and yes for the believer we are going to live in the presence of God for the unbeliever you also live eternally and you'll be separated from him according to what the Bible says in the lake of fire that's awful he doesn't want anybody there it's his will that none should perish but that all should come to repentance God has done everything to provide a way out of that but we in our sin people like to go and do their own thing I remind us that our life is but like the grass. It grows up and then it withers. And you can kind of picture that, especially from the viewpoint of David in a land that was very arid, uh, like a desert in many places. And when it rained, things would get green. But even by the next day, sometimes it was dry and brown again. It was the way it, it was there. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Love that verse, don't you? His word stands forever. Matter of fact, heaven and earth shall pass away, but his word will not. And I love that, that that's a promise we can count on. That means for all eternity, we'll still have his word enduring and himself. This chapter of Isaiah, chapter 40, talks about the temporary, those that will wither and fade like the grass. But then at the end of this chapter, this is that great verse, but those who wait on the Lord, right, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You know, for the believer, though this body ages and eventually perishes, It's just the next step, right? Because we're going to mount up with wings as eagles. Well, there'll be a time where you can run and not be weary, and you can walk and not faint. That's the eternal state. Oh, that's, that's, hey, in the end you win. Isn't that great? Don't fret. Yet the inward man is renewed day by day for our light affliction, which is but for, and we're talking about it, a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So light it relates it's also to just troubles and afflictions of this life. Yeah. And it's but for a moment, you know, he says. I love that. Uh, sometimes those moments are long. Let's be real. When you look at somebody that has uh, 
a disease and they're a little kid, you know, and they face a lifetime of, you know, being crippled or challenges of those things. And, you know, that's a struggle, isn't it? A lifetime is but a moment in the space of eternity. That helps us get through these challenges, right? It does. We see that that is the way that Scripture paints the picture of man. Even, even it, our pursuits are temporary. Uh, James says this, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. You know, even those that will chase after things and they think money's enough to keep me in this world. I've set it up for retirement. I'm going to do this and do that. And in and, and the process, they've forgotten the biggest thing, which is the Lord. Right? The Lord says, you know, remember the, the rich man who built bigger barns and all that? And he said, fool, tonight your soul will be required of you. And there comes a time people will meet their maker. It's good to be reminded of that before you do that, right? So you make plans. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Now, James is not commenting and saying uh, riches are bad, but he's saying this, don't trust in your riches. They fade, just like that. Trust, or fret not. And secondly, trust in the Lord. All right, verse 3. Look at that. He says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. I love that verse. That, That has so much in it. And the first one being that we are to trust in the Lord. And by the way, a fretful heart is a heart that isn't trusting. A fretful heart is basically saying to God, you're not enough. And that is a part of my life, I'll be honest with you, that when I fret, I, realize, I don't always realize that I'm doubting the promises of God. And I've had to go and repent before him and say, Lord, help this unbelieving heart. This heart that won't trust you. And gets worried and angry and all those other things. Trust in the Lord and do good, right? Um, I like what Paul says in the book of Romans, verse 15, or chapter 15, verse 13. He says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's trusting in the Lord. That's sort of this... Um, prayer that Paul puts out there at the end of the book of Romans or nearing the end and just saying this is what he wanted for mature believers I'm glad for that now in the midst of all this it says do good right back there in verse 3 it says do good this is what Jesus Jesus said but love your enemies do good and lend hoping for nothing in return and your reward will be great And you'll be the sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. That just sounds hard, isn't it? God is like that. He's gracious even to the one who's not thankful. He's gracious to the one who commits evil. Now, he will not always allow him to continue to do his evil. Uh, There's a day of reckoning, you know, when everybody stands before the Lord But here is this thing that we are told as Christians, as believers, as followers of the Lord, disciples, to do good. 
And I don't know what that looks like always, but I can just say this, that I have seen it. I have seen believers who have been terribly wronged um, and then go back sometimes and, and help those that harmed them. Uh, I think Corey Ten Boone, in her book, uh, The Hiding Place, she talks about the time, it was in one of her books anyways, the time well after the Holocaust years, here she survived that. She lost her sister at Ravensbrück. And the terrible things that the Nazis did to uh, the people in those, in those camps. And years later, here she is at a, a place, she was speaking somewhere, and she's talking about forgiving your enemies and all that. And there was a former prison guard who was from her camp who had become a Christian and he met her at the end of that meeting and he stuck his hand out to shake it. And she had a hard time. She did not want to shake his hand. And she realized right there that she had to live what she, what she spoke on. <laughs> you know, And that's a hard thing. I have never had something that hard you know, in my life. But she was able to forgive the man. She was able to extend a hand of fellowship to not an enemy, but a brother. Only Christianity as a, only the Lord really, and I think of that, and here in, you know, among the Jewish people at that time, believers, it's only through faith in God that he can allow that even. And in the midst of the imprecatory nature of this psalm, there is this aspect also to still do good. Still do good. Don't render evil for evil. <clears throat> Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. That's to all, okay? Especially to those who are of the household of faith. Sometimes they're the hardest people, aren't they? <laughs> Sometimes easier to live with your neighbor who would rather behead you than the Christian who sits next to you in church, right? I mean, I hope that's not the case. But I have seen bitter contentions over the years between people who know the Lord. We're to do good to each other. And I'm, I'm hoping that that's the case, right? And then he says in that verse back there in verse 3, to, that you live in the land. Now that's attached specifically to the Jewish people because he made a covenant with them of the land. And part of the Abrahamic covenant and later reaffirmed uh, was that if they obeyed God and followed him, and that he would bless them and prosper them in the land. And whenever they didn't do that, it turned out very poorly. And the principle isn't that as a believer in this age that we are, we are trusting in a land. We're not. Our land is a heavenly land. And it's not about the earth here, um, though we live here. We're pilgrims and strangers. That means we're passing through this land. And it's a little different. But the principle is very similar. If we don't follow the Lord, don't trust the Lord, don't walk in his ways, you can expect a lot of bad things will come your way. It's just the way it is. Now, bad things can still come your way, even if you do follow him. There isn't, I'm not trying to preach that if you get up in the morning and you read your Bible and you pray your daily prayers and you do that, that everything's going to turn out well. It doesn't always. Sometimes, we face a world, as Jesus said to his disciples, you're going into a world that he says hates you. You go into a world that will be like, uh, he says, I send you out as, as sheep among wolves. 
That's a good analogy. Thanks, Lord. (laughs) I don't know if I want to sign up for that. But it is like that. But he'll still bless you. And even sometimes, I mean, I see it. Make peace between you and your enemies. Some of you can testify of that. In those things. Think of the times in scripture when people walked away from the presence of the Lord or the provision of the Lord in the land. Ruth chapter 1. Verse 1. The book of Ruth. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And if you want to know the commentary of the time of the judges, the last part of the book of Judges says it was a time when every man did that which was right in his own eyes. We're in trouble when we do only what's right in our own eyes. We need to follow the Lord. But it says there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he, his wife, and his two sons. How'd that turn out for that man, Elimelech? He died. What happened to his two sons? They died. Naomi comes out of there bitter, heading back to Bethlehem, the place that God wanted to provide for them and did somehow Elimelech had it in his mind that the right thing to do was to leave Bethlehem where God had promised to provide for them and instead he would provide in Moab right you know the story too much of that too often people did that trust in the Lord and do good dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness now I highlighted those two words because they're interesting words all right as you look down at that um and we'll look at this we probably won't have much more time tonight to get further in this but um the word to feed as it's translated in english is this hebrew word another one hard to pronounce right but feed graze shepherd protect nourish that's how it can be translated so it's a verb that to feed right but it means much more than just feeding. Sometimes we're lazy eaters, right? Lazy feeders, I guess. You sit down, you expect that someone's going to come and feed you. But the idea here is this, that in trusting the Lord and doing that, that we're to, to graze, we're to drive out to shepherd. That's the word that is used, to drive out to pasture, to protect, to nourish. All that is action, isn't it? carries with itself action. It's not just sitting around waiting for a blessing. Although the Lord blesses even when we sleep, that's for sure. But it's more than that. It's taking the time to graze upon Him. To nourish your soul. All those areas build a trust. And we need that. A protection. And then you have the idea of faithfulness, okay? And faithfulness, this Hebrew word, amune, and it means a steadfastness, a reliability, a faithfulness, a firmness. And we're to trust in his faithfulness or feed on his faithfulness. It's a good thing it's his faithfulness because our faithfulness isn't always there. I've said before, you follow me around and I, I like to think of myself as somebody who's faithful, all right, that I'll, if you tell me to do something, or I ask, I told you I'm going to do something, I will do it and all that. But I have to confess, there have been times in my life I haven't fulfilled everything I said I was supposed to do. And my faithfulness at best is, is weak, you know, alone in and of itself. 
But his is not. He's 100% faithful all the time, always reliable, always firm. That means he doesn't kind of just wishy-washy, like, yeah, I'll get to it. No, he's firm. When he promises it, he's able. And he'll see it through. As Paul says uh, in Philippians 1.6, right? Being able to perform or complete that which he began. He's able to do that in our life. Oh, I'm glad for that. It's interesting how it's translated in other versions. ESV has it, trust in the Lord, do good, dwell in the land, and befriend faithfulness. I like that, befriend faithfulness. When you befriend somebody, does it, is it just something that happens? No, you have to go out and be friendly. You have to go out and get into it, right? And somehow, talk to them, whatever. Well, if you want to rely on his faithfulness, you've got to befriend faithfulness, coupled with it. I like the, even the NIV, which I don't quote much, but trust in the Lord and do good, dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Safe pasture. Sheep are funny because um, they tell me they, they don't like to eat if there's anything that they're nervous about. And I've seen them in the fields when there's something going on, they're nervous and they're running around and they're going here and there and, and they will not eat. But you want your sheep to eat, Right? And you want them to dwell in safety. I think that's why Psalm 23 resounds so much in our minds and our thinking. Because even in the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Wow, what a great shepherd, right? I love it. The NAS, New American Standard, trust in the Lord, do good, dwell in the land, and cultivate faithfulness. Cultivating, that's the idea of, of making something... Um, well, when you cultivate soil, for example, you make it better, right? You cultivate plants, you make it more hospitable for growth. And our relationship with the Lord ought to be like that. I love the way that's translated. The RSV says this, Trust in the Lord, do good, so you will dwell in the land and enjoy security. So there's an enjoyment of that pasture of that security all that wrapped up in those words i don't know uh no wonder it was hard to translate it when it came to english really and uh and yet that's the way he is well next is delight in the lord delight in the lord look what it says delight yourself also in the lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart that's a verse we've quoted a lot some of us have it hanging on a wall uh it's one of those probably top 20 verses of scripture that people like and put on a picture or something else and delight yourself in the lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart and i would say amen to that he will give you the desires of your heart but the word for delight it's an interesting word too and i had never looked up that word before until this study and it means to pamper to refresh oneself to take pleasure in and i i think that sometimes as christians uh, we've grown up in a, in a world that, or at least the Christian world, right, that we think everything, you're not a Christian unless you're miserable, right? That, that boy, you know, if we're smiling, <clears throat> you know, Quakers meeting has begun, no more laughing, no more fun, no more showing your teeth or tongue, right? I mean, that's the, that's the way people looked at Christianity. And they went to church and they went, oh, you know. And we went and groaned and moaned and hmm, up and down, kneel this and, that, and stand here. And it, it's dead. 
But that's not the Lord. The Lord is alive. And he wants us to be refreshed in him. He wants us to take our deepest pleasure in him. John Piper uh, coined a phrase in his writings, Christian hedonist. And I'm not, I don't follow Piper's Calvinism and other things there, but when he talks about God, he, you know, really gets it right as far as who God is. You always get a better appreciation in, in the big picture of who God is. But he coined this phrase, and it stood out to me when I first heard it, Christian hedonist. That just doesn't go together. A hedonist is one who seeks pleasure, okay? And that's, they're out there, you know, whatever makes you feel good, do it, right? And the world is full of hedonism. And that isn't what he meant, though. It's not what he explains it. But talking about as a Christian, we ought to be seeking our deepest, deepest pleasures in the Lord first. And there's a lot of pleasures he gives us in the confines of what he wants. And they're truly better pleasures than anything this world can offer. And the pleasures only get better when we leave this world. He wants to pamper us. But you need to draw close to him and trust him in that. Commit your way to the Lord. Look what he says. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Commit. Commit. There's another verb. What does that mean exactly? And this is sort of the, the theme of the night, right? We sang these songs, rolled away, rolled away. Every burden of my heart rolled away. I mean, the word in the Hebrew here, roll, take off a burden. Uh, I probably am not pronouncing it right even then. But I'm saying this, that when you think about what the Lord, commit your ways, roll your burden on him. Isn't that the best way? We carry around a lot of burdens. We really do. Um, you know, it's funny. I remember in the military, we were out on a road march. And a guy that was in front of me, uh, was, I, was, I was behind him by a couple guys, whatever. He was in front of me. He turned around to the guy behind him and he said something. Can you get something out of my rucksack? So the guy unzipped his rucksack. And as he was getting something out, he also took his canteen, put it in, took his other canteen and put it in the guy's rucksack. And those are heavy. And after he left it open, and then he found a couple other things that he had, and he put it in his rucksack, and he was doing that, and they were walking along. And this, he did it slowly, you know, kind of added a few things. And eventually the guy caught on, like, this thing's getting really heavy, you know. And he realized he was adding to the burden, wasn't he? Well, the world is like that. It'll add to you every day. And he says, roll it away. You know, the greatest burden is our sin, isn't it? Our sin burden. A sin burden that you cannot take off your back ever by yourself. You, you can't wash it off yourself. You can't do anything to earn it. I, I think of that like talking about our works of righteousness, which we are done. The Bible says they're, they're like filthy rags. Even the best of works that we do don't stand up. And people have this idea that if I, if I do enough good things, that somehow that burden will be lighter. The burden is still on you. You're just doing good things while you have a burden. That's all. Jesus says, I want to take your burden. He says, take my yoke upon you. My burden is light. 
He's able to take that off us and take our sin. And he nailed it to the cross. And it was there at the cross of Christ that our sin was put on him, the guilty, on the innocent. And he says, if you'll repent, if you'll turn from your sin in faith, believing, he'll take our sin burden. We need that. That's the greatest burden we have. It really is. Then the last point, we'll just quickly go to this, rest in the Lord. Rest in the Lord, right? The word for rest um, says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes. The, the word for rest here is to be motionless, to be rigid, like someone who's, who's not easily swayed, all right? To stand still, to be silent. This world is anything but that. And yet the Lord is. And he says, rest in the Lord. The world can be crashing down around us. It could be at war. It could be under a pandemic. Whatever else that's thrown at us in the last few years. And yet you can stand still and be silent. And enjoy the Lord in the process. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Father, again, thank you for your word. Thank you for the promises that are found here. And Lord, I I even pray now that we would cast our burdens upon you. Lord, thank you for salvation. Thank you for lifting that load of sin, heavy load of sin, Lord. Some of the things that were on, that I had committed, some things that I had even being born with, Lord, that sin nature, and other sins that other people put on me. And yet, Lord, you took them all. Through the sacrifice of Christ that was enough once for all. Thank you for that great sacrifice. And so Lord help us to think on these things this week. May we be a blessing to others. To seek to do good. And to rest in you in Jesus name. Amen.